Well, uh, some of you are shocked that I know what a tie is. Yes, I know what a tie is. Here it is. I wore one actually for years and years as a bank teller. So uh, it's Christmas. I thought I'd throw a, throw a little curveball. Um, we're going to actually switch up the story and talk about this guy named Noah due to the rain uh, that we've been having and are scheduled to have. Uh, no, we'll stick, we'll stick with the Christmas story. Uh, this week, this last week, my daughter, um, my daughter evidently learned in preschool uh, Feliz Navidad in her preschool. So they must have sung that and whatnot. So she was going around the house singing it. And, um, and it was so fun this morning. I didn't tell her what we were doing. And she was too young last year to really understand uh, you know, the song and didn't make any difference to her. But we're, we're running through this song this morning during rehearsal, and her eyes are this big. She's like, I know this one. Like, I've been teaching the family this. And in one week, like less than a week, it's made it to church. Like, she was just pumped about it. And here's what's cool about it, is here she is roaming through our home. Our daughter is, uh, is Chinese. And here's, here's our little Chinese daughter singing in Spanish to a God. And I thought, man, what a cool little picture of heaven, huh? That right now, isn't that just awesome? That right now, uh, that right now, people in all parts of the globe are celebrating what we're in here about and celebrating, and it's just the coolest thing. And if you don't like worshiping with other cultures, you're just going to hate it for eternity uh, in heaven because that's what it is. So anytime we can do that and bring some of that in, it's just an awesome thing. And God's placed us in such an amazing uh, neighborhood for for that kind of thing. Um, I want to basically uh, share the Christmas story in, in three words and kind of, and kind of bring it down uh, for us. And if you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and if you don't have one, you can pop your hand up and someone will hopefully get a Bible in your hand uh, really soon. Um, and if not, you can just kind of listen and follow along and jot some notes and make sure I'm not lying, you can look it up later. Um, but I want to share three words that kind of take the Christmas story and, and kind of lay it out for us. And the first word may seem a little bit odd, but it's the word struggle. And if you think about it, struggles uh, are just part of life. Most of us came out of the womb screaming and crying. We were struggling just to be born, uh, and that's quite a process. But from that point on, life, life really is a struggle, isn't it? Uh, some of you have gone through the uh, ritual of putting up your Christmas lights and decorating uh, your house for, for the Christmas season and uh, for some people, uh, there's a struggle to basically like set the bar as high as possible. And they just go all out at Christmas lights. And the rest of us love those people because we get to drive by their house, but we don't pay their electric bill. We don't take the time to do it all. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about you know, certain homes that just say, man, I, I really want you know, one more light. You know, it's, probably, it's probably a little bit of a you know, counseling thing that needs to go on, but it's probably always like one light away from having the perfect house, you know. Um, and so some are, are struggling to set the bar uh, really, really high, and other people are struggling really just to keep up. And uh, they, they, basically, they basically said, they're like, look, I cannot achieve that level of lighthood uh, at all, and so we'll just, we'll just go with, with what is. Um, how many of you in this room are happy that school is out? Let me see your hands. Yeah. I love... Here's what's cool, is before the hand even went up, the face just told it all, like, yes! And that's, that's right. Some of you are anticipating no more work for at least a couple of days, uh, sometime, unless you're in retail. Uh, but sometime in the next week, hopefully you'll have some time off of work. In a way... Just the break from school, the break from work, 
is indication that life is a struggle. You go through school and you're, you're struggling. We have several teachers in our midst. And as a teacher, teachers struggle too. They can't wait for vacation as well to be over. Amen. <laughs> you can guess who, who some of the teachers are. Um, and so it is with our work. We toil and we, we, we put out labor, right? And we just enjoy uh, seasons of break from that. Look at Luke chapter 1. The Christmas story starts with struggle. It starts with a bit of turmoil. Luke chapter 1, we'll, we'll start, pick up the story in verse 28. Gabriel, who was sent from God, is coming to talk to the Virgin Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was, here it is, greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And in verse 34, more trouble. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And therein lies the start of the Christmas story in some ways. It really started hundreds of years before that, but it would be a three-hour service if I took you there. So here's Mary now trying to explain and trying to communicate to people who were looking on at her ever-growing tummy area and saying, no, really, this is what happened. And into, into this scene, there is trouble and turmoil. Life is kind of filled with uns, and it doesn't take too long to start to figure out some of the uns that life has. Some of you who are in school uh, may be getting a report card soon, and um, some would say that grades sometimes are unfair. The teachers are like, never. Uh, Health can be unpredictable. Many right now have a vocation that is unclear to them. If you've lived any length of time, you know that people can be unfaithful. The economy is unknown, and the future, much of the time, is uncertain. We sing a song around this time of year where we say, we sing this, Far as the curse is found. This struggling, striving curse is universal. I don't know if you've traveled this year or in the last couple of years, but I don't care where you go, there's struggle there. There's turmoil there. You turn on the news and the TV and you realize in the midst of your struggle how little struggle some of us in this room really face. Most of us will reach to the refrigerator this afternoon and get something cold to drink or something to eat. We won't struggle and strive to get our stomachs filled, right? We're all sitting right now inside, clothed, out of the elements. For some, just that is a struggle. But there is a curse on this world. Here's a great question that I hope you ask, and that is, that is this. With so many clamoring for attention uh, of how to get out of the struggle, of how to be saved from the, the turmoil, how do you know what is true? The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 77, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and here's what he wrote. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. The Christmas story is God entering into our pain, entering into our suffering and struggle. 
I was having a conversation one time, not, not all that long ago, outside this building, and there was a homeless man talking to me. And because of the certain uh, circumstances that were going on, because of the time of day that was, was happening, and all this thing, it was this divine appointment. I could not believe what was happening as I talked to this homeless guy about the subject matter we were talking about. Find out for me later the rest of the story. It's a cool one. But as he's talking, I'm sitting here just going, no way! And I look at this guy and I said, I said, Richard, I said, do you believe in miracles? And without missing a bit, he looks back at me and he said, I believe in Jesus. And I said, well, then you believe in the biggest miracle that there ever was. So if you believe in Jesus, then all the other miracles, you know, parting of Red Sea, a ah, piece of cake. Some of the other miracles, piece of cake. So I said, I said, I want you to know there's a miracle happening right now. You being in this spot, having this conversation with me, with who's sitting in our building, this is a miracle happening right now. And it went on to unfold this whole beautiful thing that kind of went on. Richard has since gone on to be with the Lord. But this idea of Jesus being the biggest miracle that there is remains to be true. Romans 8 gives us indication that God hears us in our pain and suffering. It's one thing to suffer and be frustrated and have your life not go the way it's supposed to be and wonder if you're even heard in it. Kids, you understand this. You're going through things and it feels really, really long on the trip. You've been in the car for 20 minutes. And so the questions start to flow. Are we there yet? Can we pull over? Is there a McDonald's playland? Something's going on. You need change happening. And if it just goes on without ever being acknowledged, it gets more and more frustrating. There's a buildup that can go on. But sometimes having mom and dad say, I understand, I know it's long. It's, it's hard to sit and be still sometimes, huh? Just hearing that can kind of help the trip go by. Listen to Romans 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. You could catch all this in Genesis 1 through 3. God creates man's sins, and there is a curse that has come on the world because of it. What's interesting in today's day and age is as we move into our second word, which is the word Savior. As we talk about a God who shows his power among the peoples, if you just throw out the word God today, you could be meaning any number of about 2,700 different varieties of God that you're talking about. The way that the Old Testament people would clarify what they're talking about, because they lived in a, a, a pluralistic, plural deism kind of, of, of culture as well, is they would clarify by saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would be saying, it's the God of the Israelites. Other nations would come and say, we've heard about the God of the Israelites. They're clarifying a God amidst the many gods. In today's day and age, if we were to say that, that would speak truth into someone maybe raised in the South or maybe someone who had a Bible and grandma taught them that. But to a lot of people, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But a clarifying factor for us today is this. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And now we're talking about God who became man... And, and we're now talking about the God of the Bible. If you want to clarify that you're including the Old Testament, you could throw in a little, uh, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of the lineage of David, which we just read. And it's clarifying for people saying, this is the God that we're talking about. It's the God of the Bible. 
The Savior that we're talking about is Jesus. I love this line in a song that we sing. The weary world rejoices. We live in a weary world. I know that bad news kind of sells, and that's why a lot of it's pushed up front. But there is a lot of weariness going on. And sometimes Christmas season can actually only make that worse and and amplify certain kinds of things, which then gets frustrating all the more. Did you know that 28% of the Bible is dedicated to prophecy? And much of that prophecy talked about the events that started in motion this story of God around this little baby coming to a little podunk town called Bethlehem. And this prophecy that's been talked about and mentioned for years and years is the birth of a great king. A Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the savior of the entire world. You look at the Christmas story and you wonder who we would have taken the star, the spotlight, God's spotlight, and who would have we picked to shine that on? I think for some of us it might have been the the wise men, right? They're coming in camels and bling and all their pomp and circumstance, and they're coming and they get noticed in the world. Who's the spotlight on today? I mean, think about it. It's the wise men. They're the ones with the money. They're the ones with all the influence. They're the ones people literally look up to because they're not on a camel. They're the ones that would be in the spotlight had most of us drawn up the story. Surely we would have at least put the context in the setting. We would have picked someone who's of proper lineage and put him in some kind of a castle and made him a prince. But not Jesus. Matthew, uh, who is a Jew, writing to his Jewish family. In the gospel, the good news according to Matthew, first book of the New Testament, shows that everything about this man is unique. His miraculous birth his obscure yet carefully prophesied birthplace, the flight to Egypt, the announcement by John the Baptist, which was, Behold, the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus' battle with Satan in the wilderness. All of these things are, are meant to lead to one conclusion. Jewish brothers and sisters, this is the Messiah. This is the one that our holy book talks about in the Old Testament. It's this man, Jesus Christ. And with each revealing point in Matthew's gospel, you're reading it going, why the long genealogy? Who cares? The Jewish people care. Because they they know that the Messiah is going to come from a certain lineage. So Matthew includes that. And with each revealing statement that Matthew is giving, he is saying, make no mistake about it, this is the promised Messiah. This is our King. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Don't turn there, but just listen. It says this, that long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways through our ancestors and through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. It goes on to say, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. If you or someone you know or love has missed the meaning of Christmas, has missed Jesus as being the, the, the Messiah, the Savior, you're in great company. People missed that in Jesus' day and age. The signs were there, but it was missed. And the main reason, I think, is that we would draw up a different Savior. This unlikeliest hero, as I've called the message this morning, 
is an unlikely hero because he's opposite from what we would pick in almost every regard. The, the misunderstanding and the oversight didn't end with Jesus at his birth. Jesus seemed to be uh, blowing up people's expectations and plans for what would save them for a long time to come. Let me just rattle off kind of a highlight here very, very quickly from the Gospels about some of the things that were said about him. One person observing Jesus as he's teaching, and people are wondering, could this really be true? People were wondering that in, in Jesus' day as they are now. Is this really true? Or are these people kind of crazy? And someone throws this one out. Can anything good really come from this guy's podunk home, hometown? And so that was the logic. Is that Surely it's not going to be from there. We know that the king would not come from that place. Here's another one. The, the accusation is leveled at God in a body. You are uneducated. You're but a carpenter. What do you know? And that was a huge thing. If you were educated or uneducated, was a giant chasm in those days, right? Who are you to teach me? I'm an educated one. You're an uneducated carpenter. Here's another one. We know who your father is. When the Messiah comes, we're not going to know who it is. Aren't you Joseph's son? We know that. Here's another one. You're not yet 30 years old. His age was, a, was, a, was an issue for people. Here's another one. He came riding in on a donkey. That was his big victory ride-in at Easter time into Jerusalem. Not a white stallion, nothing of the sort, but a donkey of all things. And finally, maybe the nail in the coffin for many people, sealing the truth for them, is that Jesus dies really a common criminal's death on a cross. And in that moment, by the way, if you ever preach a message around Christmas time, you're going to find it's really hard to preach a Christmas message without bringing in Easter. So I'm just going to go ahead and do that. The key hero act, if you will, Jesus, is him on that cross and then rising from the grave three days later. That's where he dealt with our sin. That's where he took our struggle on himself and in its place gave us the very righteousness of God. The very thing that we long for and need is peace with God and yet we can't achieve it on our own. I don't know if you've been to some kind of a Christmas party where there's been some kind of a gift exchange but this gift exchange blows away any gift exchange you could, you could really hope or imagine about. Here, Jesus, take my shame. Take my failure. Take a lifetime of wandering from you and violating your laws. And in its place, Jesus clothes you. He puts a robe of righteousness on you. Such that before a holy God, you can be in right relationship with him because of the blood of Jesus. And that's the hero act. It's possible to overlook something because either you don't know what you're looking for or you forgot what you're looking for. I know this is an age thing a little bit, so I'm, I'm getting there. I'm starting to have these things happen. But you can also overlook something because you're so familiar with it that your eyes kind of glance right by it and it doesn't jump out at you. Let me take you to a car for a second. Okay, not literally, but in your mind. Pretend you're driving. Kids, this is fun. Uh, so pretend you're driving a car, all right? You could be driving a car and miss your exit. Let's be honest. Any of us missed an exit before? Get lost a little bit? Yeah, I'm in good company. You can miss your, your exit for a lot of reasons. Here's, here's one of them. You could be distracted, okay? Uh, I know it's now illegal, but uh, you know people are texting, playing Angry Birds, doing whatever. They're, they're doing stuff on their phone. Uh, I mean, their phone does really everything except drive the car for them. So they're doing that while driving down the road. That can, that can cause you to, to miss your exit. You can also miss your exit because you're overconfident. 
and someone's explained to you, this part's a little tricky. You're like, no, totally got it. And then they, you know, they call you 20 minutes later and they're like, hey, I'm lost. And you go, yeah, that's because I told you, you know, you missed the exit because you just, you thought you knew what you were looking for and you blitzed right by it. Um, some of you have had this experience before where you're driving down the road and you're, you're blocked in. Your exit's coming up and you're blocked in. Uh, I had a dad, I grew up with a dad that was an engineer at Lockheed for most of his life. And the way dad drove was like this. He was driving along and if his exit's coming up in several miles, he's going to just gently ease on over, come on over a little more. And he, actually, he was never in the fast lane. He was always just only one lane over. So he'd come over to the lane, and he'd get in that lane. And he'd just sit there. And like as a kid, I didn't care because I was fighting with my brothers. But, but later on in life, I'm driving. I'm like, I'm like more impatient than my dad. I'm like, Dad, there's, there's a semi going you know, 20 miles an hour in front of us. Go around him. I know where the exit is. Like, like you can do this. Not Dad. Dad's going to take the safe choice. He's going to be in that exit. Well, I once in a while, I think of my dad as I'm driving down the freeway, and I'm like, I can beat not just that semi, but those three cars also. <laughs> and I push that little Honda Odyssey to its max, and I just floor it. And uh, once in a while, I go, oh, look, there's our exit. <laughs> Kids, want some ice cream? I just try, try to make it seem like I knew what I was doing. Uh, but you can, you can get blocked in. I mean, you, want, you, you really want with all your might to, to, to get over there, but you're, but you're blocked in. Some people are just plain mistaken. You ever get to a place that you haven't been to in a long time, and it just doesn't look right, doesn't feel right, but it is right? And you didn't take the exit. You're like, eh, I don't think that's it. Yep, that would be, that would be it. That was, that was the one right back there. You were dead wrong because you just, you just didn't, you just didn't have, have the right thing. Once in a great while, you miss your exit because it's just too familiar to you. Most of you probably have had this experience of driving home and completely not remembering the drive home. And that ought to frighten you. It just really should because you just drove a very uh, powerful thing down a freeway and off an exit and down some streets and whatnot. And you're like, oh, I'm home. Like You don't really cognitively remember getting those exits. You can miss it because it's all too familiar. Let me take you out of the car for a second now. God sends his signs. God sends one of the biggest signs, which is Jesus pointing the way. Saying, this is the way to safety. This is your exit. And people can miss for all those same reasons. They're distracted. They're overconfident. They're blocked in. They want to do it, but there's something keeping them from taking that exit. Some are just flat out mistaken. This doesn't look right or feel right. Surely this is not the way God drew it up. And some people, it's so familiar that they just look right by it. And in their search for a savior, in their search for a hero, in their search for rescue from all this struggle, they look right by the manger. Because for most of us in America, we've seen that and it's become all too familiar. The signs are present. God, through the Old Testament and through the history of Israel, was making mention of it. Matthew one twenty three. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is in the Bible, by the way. All through America, there's Bibles. Jesus makes clear who he is and what his mission is. John, uh, Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be saved or served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in 1 John chapter 3, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 
clearly laid out, clearly revealed before us. The clear markers are there. Not everyone's taking the exit. Many people struggle to find the meaning of Christmas, although it's been revealed. As you look around and you interact with people and and, uh, think about life, here's, here's what I think is true. The average person in the world does not think that they're going to find what they're looking for in an obscure, common, poor village feeding trough for animals. That's why it's missed. Much less a donkey riding into town, much less a disgusting cross and, and, and a person being put to death. And there's something in people that says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to find what I'm looking for there. The third word that I want to offer to you is the word hope. I don't know if you've ever had a situation come along where you've been in sort of a pickle and things are a, you're in a jam and you're, you're longing for a kind of rescue out of that, whatever that might be. And, uh, and along comes a solution and, and you're like, this? This is what I was waiting for? I don't think so. Uh, some of you have heard my story of my Jeep catching on fire with me in the car. And I was driving home from work and I was just trying to get home after, after a long day at work. And I'm cruising down 85 and my Jeep's on fire. So I decide to pull over. It just seemed like the right thing to do. So I'm standing there outside of my Jeep now. And my Jeep is now on fire. And I genuinely wish I had a marshmallow and a stick. Because I thought I'd be one of the few people who'd ever roasted a marshmallow and made a s'more out of this car. Uh, But it's there. And the, the, the flames of my Jeep Wrangler are shooting into the sky. It was actually quite a, a nice sight if it wasn't my car. Um, and it was commute traffic and all these people are cruising by on 85 and I'm standing there at the Saratoga Avenue exit, which is my exit. I was a mile from home. And I was standing there and uh, just kind of wondering what I was going to do. I would have called someone, but it was in the, in the car getting burned up. And so, um, so I'm standing there and, uh, and most people are just kind of cruising by. You know, I should have waved more. I don't know. I, now I would have done different things, you know. Jumping jacks, just to make it really bizarre. Like, why is that guy? But I was standing there, and this truck pulls up, and he goes, Arr! he kind of like pulls up, and this guy jumps out of the car, and he runs around the back of his truck, and I'm like, sweet, you know? And he throws open his, his, um, his work truck, and he pulls out a fire extinguisher, and he hands it to me, and the fire extinguisher is about this size. <laughs> I'm like, is this a pop top? What, you know, what is this? And, uh, and I, I would have done better with a super soaker. I mean, it was so small. He hands it to me, and I, I look at my Jeep, and I look back at this, and I said, no. And I just handed it back like, like, thank you so much for stopping. I really do. You're the only one who has stopped so far. But this is just not going to cut it. And in the same way, you know, people are told there's, there's someone coming that's going to rescue you out of your torment. Not just the oppression that's happening in our government right now. Not, not just our people being oppressed. But for all of time, there is going to be an unshakable eternal kingdom. And the king over all kings is going to come. He's going to rule over you. And you're going to be an established kingdom. And you're just going, man, I can't wait. And imagine not just a year of anticipation for Christmas gifts. Imagine hundreds of years. You're like, but I'd be dead. I know, but pretend before. Hundreds of years. Your ancestors keep passing on the story that one day there is going to come a king of kings, a messiah, a savior that's not just going to save us. He's going to be a savior for the entire world. 
And then someone comes along to you with the news that it's in this little fire extinguisher package and you're like, there's no way. And many people like today would blow that off as impossible and say, that can't be how it happens. I want to invite the band to come up and they're going to be singing a song called How Many Kings. And I love this song because it, it just peels back this, this question. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ. The word Advent, it's the Advent season, means arrival. It's a Latin word for arrival or coming. And the Advent season is, yes, about looking back at the first Advent, the first coming of Christ in the form of a baby. But I don't want us to miss as, as, as a neighborhood, as a community, the other element of the Advent season is looking ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He appeared once to bear the sins of many. He will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, that happened at the first advent, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. To save those who are eagerly waiting. Clap! That's a good one. That's what we're doing. The hope of Jesus Christ's arrival is a past, present, and future thing. We're thrilled about what happened in the past, but the Christmas story is not all 2,000 years ago. There's a present element, isn't it? Just to be renewed day by day. And the inner man, the inner woman, is being renewed and made into his likeness day by day. But there's a future element, ladies and gentlemen, that we're looking forward to and eagerly awaiting when he comes again. Listen to this song uh, as, as the band sings. The unlikely hero uh, really puts out an unlikely invitation. And the way we kind of sum it up here at Neighborhood Bible Church, we like to say this, come as you are, but don't stay that way. And Jesus put out this, uh, these words that were revolutionary at the time, and maybe for familiarity's sake, they've lost their impact. But in a culture that really preferred children to be seen and not heard, and once they got old enough, working to help the family out, Jesus, instead of preventing children from coming to him, invited them in. And he said with some children around him, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter the kingdom. Revolutionary. Unexpected. Completely different than how we would have drawn it out. I love to study kids. I love to be around kids. One of the things that uh, kids... Are, I just want to point out three things and then we'll kind of wrap up. Kids are simple. Kids pray really simply. Here's what I love about kids' prayers. They do something that adults tend to start to not do. They tell God what they're genuinely thinking. They just tell God what they're genuinely thinking. They're free and unencumbered by vocabulary and trying to use big fancy or spiritual or the right words. They don't tend to worry if they sound cliche. They don't even know how to spell that or what the little accent is. They're not really worried about or fearful about formulas. They just talk to God. What a great thing to cultivate. We ought to do the same. 
Here's a great prayer. Here's one of my favorite prayers from Anita, who's aged 11. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for going up there on the cross for us every Good Fridays. You must be real happy when the weekend is over. <laughs> Not beautiful. I mean, that's just, that's just what was on her heart. Simple, direct, and honest. Pray like a child. Here's another thing that I love about children. Children are not afraid to ask for help. Have you noticed this? Parents, say yes. Absolutely. What they're saying is, I'm, I'm in way over my head. In my household, it comes out like this. Ah! Wah! Depending on the age, right? Uh, it just comes out. And here's the, here's the bottom line message with that. I have issues. I have a trouble. And I can't I didn't even speak yet. I don't even know how to put words to it. But you're the parent. You figure this out for me. Deal with it. Help me out. Feed me. Make me warmer. Make me colder. And then you're like, you're 13. No, I'm kidding. You know, I mean, I mean, that's just what kids do. And, and what's, what's beautiful about that is this. In doing so, there's this almost proud dependence on another. They say, look, I'm a kid. I'm a baby. Of course I'm going to be dependent on someone else. Not only that, but they are expectant for an answer. They cry because they know someone's going to come and answer them. And finally, they are unashamed that they can't. Somewhere along the line, little children start to learn to hide that and feel like, well, maybe I should be doing this. And there's a, there's a shame that comes over. Let me just read those three words again, which are absolute death for certain adults. Dependence, expectant, and ashamed. Faith in Jesus isn't religious positive thinking. It's not a motivational course. It's not a pep talk. It's not positive self-imaging. Faith is for the helpless and the needy as much as it is for the wealthy and wise men among us today. Saying yes to Jesus, in fact, is actually a humiliation. It's a cry of dependence. But that humiliation actually prepares us for the humility needed to receive the kingdom and enter the kingdom as Jesus would command. Dependent, unashamed, and expectant. Ask God for help. Finally, children find the ordinary as intriguing as the extraordinary. Some of you recognize where this picture was taken. I took this a few years ago from Glacier Point. And Glacier Point, you can either drive for an exceedingly long time soaking in bus fumes on a windy road, or you can hike straight up about 4.3 miles. But either way, once you get there, you're treated to one of my favorite places on earth. It's an absolutely spectacular view. Here's what's marvelous about Glacier Point, though. At Glacier Point, the adults have constructed things, and they have binoculars, and everyone's looking out. But at Glacier Point, there's also big rock granite formations there that are very common. They're all over Yosemite Valley. And in one breath, a child can be soaking in Glacier Point and turn around, and you look, and they're hunched over on a granite slab on their hands and knees. And as you go over to help them discover this majestic view, you realize what they're doing. They're staring at a little ladybug crawling along the granite slab. And on that granite slab with that color, it's just got them fascinated. They're staring at this ladybug. And everything in you wants, wants to yank them away from that and say, we got ladybugs at home. We drove for a long time to get up here. Enjoy this view. We hiked for a long time. Go check this out. Kids have this innate sense that keeps them neither overly impressed with power nor under-impressed with the ordinary and the common. And I wonder if it's those childlike eyes of faith 
that can kind of see the world in that sort of a way that Jesus is somewhat referring to in what's needed to see the kingdom of God unfold. If you're looking for big, bright, and powerful, and flashy, you're going to miss it every single time. Even those closest to Jesus, witnessing big, powerful things, it didn't match their expectation, and they chose to worship the idea of what they have in mind rather than the reality that was set before them. I want to have you uh, just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. My prayer for everyone in this room today is that whether we've heard this story a hundred times or never before, that we wouldn't overlook the simple. We wouldn't overlook the wonder of what God has done and is doing today. Oh, that we would have eyes of a child, that we could join in and sing these lines, the child, the child, sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. Amen.